Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, and welcome to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast, brought to you by the team here at the magazine. Join us as we chat all things gardening with the nation's favourite experts. Did you know that wasps are the best pest controllers you could wish for in the garden? That they spend their days hunting aphids, caterpillars and other garden pests to feed their young, while the adults are pretty nifty pollinators too? You might be more familiar with wasps as the baddies of late summer, but that's only a tiny part of the story of wasps. Just a handful of the UK's 7,000 different types of wasp irritate us at picnics and barbecues. They really are very misunderstood. Hello, I'm Kate Bradbury, and today I'm talking to entomologist and wasp expert Professor Sirian Sumner, author of Endless Forms, a book all about, you guessed it, wasps. I'm keen to find out more about these wonderful insects and learn more about their fascinating lifestyles. So I started by asking her, what's so great about wasps? They are. I mean, I think we, we, re- we really need to be appreciating them in the same way that we do bees. Um, so we, we appreciate what bees do in, the envir- in our gardens. There are pollinators and they look really cute. So everybody loves them. Um, but what do wasps do in the garden? Well, there's lots of things that they do. Um, I guess the main thing that they do is that y- they are gardener's friend in that they are nature's pest controllers. So they are eating the other insects and arthropods in your garden, which you might be using chemicals to control, um, or that you might actually find even more uh, distasteful than wasps themselves. 
So things like caterpillars on your uh, lettuces or um, aphids on your tomato plants. Um, the wasps, are it, the so, particularly the social wasps in your garden, will be creaming off the excess of all the insects that are in your garden. Um, now, I, I often get asked, oh my goodness, does that mean that wasps are contributing to the decline of insects? And that is not true at all. <laughs> um, because uh, social wasps in particular are generalist uh, hunters, they will be just simply uh, creaming off the most abundant. So if you have an, a, a plethora of, of um, particular flies or caterpillars in your garden, they will be just keeping those populations in check and they would never be hunting anything to, to local extinction. Um, so I guess, you know, that, that's the main thing that that's one of the main things they're doing for, for your garden. But there are other things they do too. Uh, wasps also pollinate. And uh, if you spent some time looking at wasps in your garden, you probably would be surprised at how often you see them on flowers. And the reason they're visiting flowers is because adult wasps are, although they're hunters, they're actually vegetarians themselves. Um, so they don't eat the prey. They are simply collecting prey to feed to their brood if they're a social wasp or to bury in the ground and lay an egg on such that their egg will then hatch and eat the prey underground. Um, so the adults themselves are vegetarian. They need some nutrition from somewhere and they get this sugar from flowers, from nectar in the same way that bees and other insects do. So by needing that nectar, by visiting plants to find the nectar, they are inadvertently carrying pollen from one plant to another. Um, so, but, but astoundingly, there's very little research on how effective wasps are as pollinators. Um, but we've got some ideas of the types of flowers that they visit. Other things that they do in the garden, uh, they're really important decomposers. Um, so particularly the uh, the yellow jacket social wasps that visit you at picnics, they are they'll come to your, we know they're decomposers, they go after carrion because they come to your barbecue. So they'll happily go for your sausage. <laughs> um, but they'll also go for, you know, a dead pigeon or dead insects, dead anything really, any carcasses that they find. Um, so they're really important in getting rid of um, decomposing bodies. Um, and then... So those are three really important functions, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. The, 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 the pollination, the pest control, and then and then the breaking down of, 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 of organic matter, things that we find sort of quite unappealing, really. Yeah. yeah. So I, I just one more thing, actually. There's, there's, there's been some research just out in the last few weeks, actually, about the role of wasps as seed dispersers. And uh, there's very there's been a few papers out on this um, over the last few years, but it's very it's I think it's quite hard to observe. So it's very understudied. Now, I mean, we, we know that ants are really important to seed dispersers and seeds have evolved these um, eliosomes, which are these kind of um, nutritious um, appendages to them that ants will uh, use to carry the seed to their nest and they'll break off the eliosome and feed that to their brood and discard the seed. And in doing so, they disperse the seed. And that's actually really well studied. We know a lot about seed dispersing ants. But the idea that wasps do it is a little bit quirky. Um, and just the other week, there was a, there was a paper out um, about how wasps were really um, critical seed dispersers of a particular kind of plant um, that grows in China. And the, uh, the seeds are only released 
for a very short amount of time. So they have to be collected by the wasps and it's very time critical. Um, and uh, this is a really exciting study because it's so difficult to observe it and so unlikely to, to observe it, but it was really incredible. It's agar wood. I don't know if that means anything to you. Um, so I think, you know, we are at the tip of the iceberg in starting to understand the roles of wasps in our gardens. That's amazing. I didn't know that. One thing I do, <clears throat> and this was a few years ago, um, I heard someone, I, I read somewhere, that we wouldn't have um, bread or wine or beer without wasps because they overwinter yeasts in their stomachs. Is, is, that, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, this is studies from uh, Italy, I think, where they found um, the yeast, uh, the brewer's yeast, uh, hi- hibernating in the abdomens of these wasps uh, so i mean i'm not i'm not sure we're entirely we can't entirely credit wasps as being the reservoirs of the overwintering <laughs> hot, um, uh, yeast but they certainly do do you know if you're fond of beer and wine which we all are then you know we should be celebrating wasps as being those uh, those uh, reservoirs during the to, to allow overwintering of that of the yeast so they're basically absolutely amazing creatures and we should love them a lot more than, than, than most people do. Indeed, absolutely. So let's sort of come on to the nitty-gritty of this. You know, people generally don't like wasps because they've got a reputation for stinging us, um, uh, um, nicking off food at barbecues, um, just generally being being a pain. Um, but that's only that's only a couple of the species, isn't it? And we've got about 7,000 species of wasp in the UK, haven't we? So can you tell us more about the baddies and, or they're not even baddies, are they? But the, the, ones, the ones that give the rest a bad reputation, can you explain why it's those that give the rest the budget reputation and, 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 you know, who are the other ones that we should be looking yeah, at? Yeah, I know, exactly. You're absolutely right. There are about 7,000 species of wasps in the UK and almost all of them are solitary wasps and you might not even notice them in your garden. You might even mistake them as a bee. Um, the wasps that give, uh, that give them a bad reputation are the social ones. And in the UK, we only have a particular kind of social wasp, which are the Vespine wasps, um, which are the yellow jackets and the hornets. So those are the wasps that will visit you at your picnics. And I think that's why we get they get a bad reputation because those are the wasps that people come into contact with. And so, and I think what's really interesting is that if you stop any old person on the street and you ask them to identify a wasp, they could identify a yellow jacket wasp because they've met them at picnics. But if you ask them to identify a honeybee, they probably couldn't do it. Um, And so I think it's quite remarkable that people really understand what honeybees do, and yet they can't really identify them. And yet they don't know what wasps do, and yet they can identify them. So we have a we have a really biased perception of what a wasp is. Um, and it's really unfortunate. And the, the other really unfortunate thing is it's only at the end of the summer that people start to notice these wasps. And it, it, we kind of get this sort of crazy end of summer heady holiday feeling at the end of August around about this time when in the beginning of September when we're all desperately trying to have those last barbecues and picnics before school starts again and the, the, the summer starts winding up and along comes the wasps and it's really unfortunate it's an unfortunate um, coincidence of, of the timing of when we want to be outdoors enjoying the last summer last days of summer and the time when the wasps end up switching their diets really the way 
way that they behave. Um, because the, the wasps are around all summer. You know, if you've got a, if you've, I often get people telling me at the end of August, oh, I've got this wasp nest in my loft. It's suddenly appeared. I have to get rid of it. <laughs> it's been there since April. Exactly. It's been there for months <laughs> and you've not noticed it. Um, during those months, those wasps have been your pest controllers in your garden, your pollinators, your decomposers, your seed dispersers. They've been doing you some really good jobs. So, give them a break, you know, put up with them for another few weeks. And the reason they behave badly, it's because they get thrown out of their nest, isn't it? They're, they're basically being evicted. We should be feeling sorry for these poor Well, they're not quite so much evicted. They're still a member of the colony. Um, but I, I, I think I learned the word furlough, as we all did a couple of years ago, uh, when the pandemic uh, kicked in. And I think that's a really good term to describe what happens to wasps at the end of the colony cycle. They kind of get furloughed from work. So they're no longer needed to hunt quite as much as they were before. And the reason for this is because the larvae, which are the carnivores, um, have pupated. And once they pupate, they they have this, they spin this cap and they no longer need feeding. So you've got thousands of wasps in a colony who no longer need to hunt quite so much. Um, and so they're kind of out of work. And at the same time, they're no longer getting a sugary, nutritious treat from the larvae. So when they feed a larva some prey, the larva will give them a little uh, secretion in, in return. Um, and that has nutritional value in it. And we think that has an important role in sustaining the adult wasps as well as visiting flowers. So the wasps are trying to look for sugar elsewhere. So they've got no hunting to do and they're looking for sugar and there is your barbecue sitting there and your sugary drinks and your ice cream all waiting to provide them with nutrition. <laughs> and, and, and is it true that, 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 that they, they, and they, they're your, there's your plum tree as well and there are your grapes? I mean, gardeners do sort of get quite, quite cross with wasps just as, as their fruit is ripening and they're just getting ready to pick it and then along come the wasps and ruin it all. Is it true that um, the, the wasps, they get drunk on fermenting fruit and that makes them behave even more badly? Well, or is that, a, is that an old wives' tale? I, no one has actually tested that. I mean, of course, <laughs> they will be getting a little bit. If it's fermenting, there will be a higher alcohol content. So there will be um, some alcohol content in what they're, what they're taking from the from the grapes and the, and the apples and plums and whatnot. Um, does it make them more unruly? I... I don't think so. No, I mean, maybe they're, you know, they're probably more sluggish. And so perhaps they're less likely to move out of your way when you appear or when you step on them, perhaps. Um, but I think it's kind of unfair to, uh, to, to to sort of tarnish them with the drunken wasps out to get us. <laughs> <laughs> There's always an article, isn't there, at the end of summer about drunken, know, drunken, badly behaved, know, exactly. Um, rejected I think wasps. The, the media get really uh, bored at the end of the summer and they have all these just crazy crazy in fact we've already had them this year we've had um uh, some of the newspapers had these plague of wasps the heat waves causing a plague of wasps uh, stories which are complete rubbish <laughs> so just for the listeners who don't know so just very basically explain the, the life cycle of, 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 of the common wasp. It starts in, in April, doesn't it, when the queen founds a nest? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So um, every, every spring, 
in the early spring, the queens will start to appear. And you might find these are the ones when people get very scared because the queens are quite big um, and they will often be in your house. They'd have been there all winter hibernating happily or in your shed and you're just getting your gardening kit out the shed and you see these big wasps. Those are the queens and they really won't bother you unless you happen to put your hand on them by accident. And of course, they will sting you then. Um, but they will be uh, looking to found a new nest. and. They will look for your, they, I mean, if your shed or your loft is not available, then they'll nest in the ground. And in fact, they rely on having um, kind of rodent, old rodent burrows as places to nest. So that's really important nesting habitat for them. So they will build their nest and the fur that they are, they live, they build it alone. So they are a single foundress. And uh, so unlike a honeybee, which comes with a swarm of workers, she's just on her own, this wasp, she will be collecting wood from your sheds or your fence, uh, fence posts and using that to make her beautiful paper nest. And then she lays the eggs and then the first eggs uh, hatch into larvae and she will provision them. So the queens will be out hunting um, and they'll be bringing, and, and actually you'll see them a lot on flowers as well in the early spring because of course they've got no larvae to really give them that nutrition. Uh, so they'll be feeding the larvae and then once the larvae uh, pupate and hatches her first workers, then she will remain in the nest and she won't ever leave the nest again. Um, and then the work, then the nest grows exponentially then, and there'll be hundreds to thousands of workers who are produced over a period of months. Um, and the nest just keeps on growing and growing. And then about the end of August, early September, they start, the queen starts producing sexual brood. So until that point, she's only been producing uh, daughters who are sterile, so they can't mate. Um, and they're the workers and they do all the provisioning. Um, and after, yeah, so early spring, uh, early, uh, towards the, so towards the end of the summer and the early autumn, the sexual brood will be produced. So that's next year's queens and the males that they will, that will mate with, with the uh, future queens. Um, and towards the end of the autumn, then you'll start to see these queens, these big bumbling queens who've just been mated, um, crawling into your hot airing cupboards or your or your loft, find finding a nice place to hibernate, and everyone else dies. So the the nest that you have um, is only annual. So by the end of the autumn, you can happily go into your loft and remove it yourself if you want to, if you've got a nest up there. Uh, because all the workers will have died, the original queen will have died, all the males will have died, and it will, and the newly mated queens will have gone into hibernation. They will have dispersed and gone into hibernation. Um, and they are the ones that the next spring will then emerge and start the new colony again. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. So it's very similar to a, a bumblebee life cycle, really. Absolutely. Um, yeah, annual yeah. life cycles. An- annual, annual, and only the queens, yeah. only the queens survive yeah. winter. So actually talking of nests, lots of people say if you've got a wasp nest in your garden, other wasps won't come and make another nest. And you can buy these pretend nests that you hang up to deter wasps from, from creating new nests. Is is this is there any truth in this? Is this is this a worthwhile thing to do? <laughs> at all. No, I mean there's no science to back that up at all. And in fact, I often see wasp nests. If I collected some wasp nests the other year in Regent's Park, and they were in London, and there were literally there were six, I think, in this cleared area where there'd be nettles, and they were like half a metre apart from each other, and even different species. There was the German wasp and the common wasp. So I I don't think there's any evidence in that. Don't waste your money on one of those bags of wasps. And also, I think, you know, they're annual species. So how would a wasp ever have... how How would you have had any evolution to select wasps to not build nests near another big nest? Because in the spring, there are no other nests because everyone's starting at the same time. So there's no there's no evolutionary explanation for why that could possibly have evolved. Um, so no, load of rubbish. <laughs> load of old rubbish. Brilliant. I'm loving this. Okay, great. Uh, so uh, some of the other wasps in the garden, I mean, most people, they they just know the le- yellow jackets, don't they? They, they? They're not familiar with the other types of wasps. There are lots of solitary wasps. There are only nine species of social wasps in the UK. So the other... 6,990 odd wasps are are all solitary. And the Ectemnius is one example. There are lots of other types of uh, solitary wasps. And remarkably, we know actually quite little about them. Um, And the observations of what they hunt are very scattered and few and far between. And one of the reasons for this is that we have, although we have a wonderful tradition in the UK of people recording insects in their garden and recording what they do. Um, there is a, 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 an anti-wasp bias. So if people see wasps, they generally don't tend to report them as much as they would bees or hoverflies or butterflies. So as a result of that, we've actually got quite poor information on, on what wasps hunt and what wasps do in our gardens. I'm so jealous that you've had these wasps in your bee hotel because I have one of these bee hotels where you can take the sides off and see inside them. Yes, uh, yes. And, uh, and I've just had loads of osmia and um, the uh, the leaf cutting, the mega Kylie leaf cutting bees. I, I haven't had a single wasp yet. I'm so sad. So I'm super jealous. <laughs> Right. Well, let me tell you, I've got, um, I haven't got them this year, but I've had Ectemnius wasps and I usually just get the males roosting. Um, but I had this wonderful moment a couple of years ago where um, I had 
This is like a whole food chain in action. I had some cardoons, which were just about to flower, these lovely pink flowers. And um, and they were covered in aphids, absolutely covered, to the point where even I thought about doing something about it, but I didn't, I resisted. Um, and next to the cardoons, there was fennel. And the fennel brought in lots of hoverflies. And the hoverflies were all sort of hanging around the fennel, visiting the fennel flowers. And then they were mating and laying eggs on the cardoons, happy days, eating the aphids, because lots of hoverfly larvae eat aphids. But then along comes the Ictemnius wasps that were then hunting the hoverflies that were on the fennel and the, and the cardoon. So I had this whole, I had this whole food chain just, just sort of playing out in front of me in this in my very small garden in, in, in Brighton. And it was just, it was just marvellous to watch. And, and I don't know where the females were nesting, but the males each night were were roosting in my bee hotel and it was just it was magnificent just watching their little their little <laughs> eyes poking They're out from cute. the holes. They're very cute. I've got um this year for the first time I've got an aphid wasp in my in my bee oh, hotel. Right. Oh, so lovely. I, I, I don't know what species is it is. I, I, I don't know if there's a few aphid wasps, but it's this tiny little black wasp. And um so again the life cycle of the solitary bee for the listeners is um the female and male mates in, in sort of spring or whenever they're nesting and then they provision the bee hotel with with food and they lay an egg on the food source and um, so with bees obviously that's nectar and pollen and um, but with wasps it's it's aphids and, the, and and it was it it's literally stocked that these little cells in my bee hotel because again I've got the viewing panel and I can see all these paralyzed aphids um and, and the little grubs are eating the aphids. It's, it's magnificent. Oh, that... And my dad's had one that's got spiders in it. And it was his bee hotel was full of oh, spiders. Wow, that's amazing. I am super jealous. I, I mean, my bee hotel's quite new. So maybe I need to, I don't know. I, I've moved, I've kept moving it around the garden actually, because I've not attached it. So I'm moving it around the garden in the hope that I might, <laughs> might find some wasps. So if any of your listeners have some secrets about how to get lots of wasps nesting in bee hotels, because they should be perfect for lots of these types. Types of wasps, as you say, I'd like to know the secret. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd the spider one in my dad's. It was it was amazing. It's like the first year that um, that he'd put it up, and suddenly he had this this spider eating wasp. Yeah, and I don't think we ever found out which species. Oh, it they're was. amazing! I love the spider hunting wasps. So they they te- the, there's a specialist group of wasps called the pompylids, which are the spider hunters, and they because uh, solitary wasps tend to be really um, prey. Uh, specific so they'll only hunt a particular kind of prey um and and the spider hunters are just amazing you you, you really recognize them uh, if you see them because they kind of s- skit along the ground they're really fast they're really hard to catch and they have these beautiful curly antennae um so they're just exquisite and they often flick their wings and the wings are often a little bit iridescent and they're skitting it around the place they're just amazing insects um fantastic things and of course you know what's probably the uh, arthropod that people hate even more than wasps are spiders right so <laughs> <laughs> we should be embracing these wasps that control the spider populations for us <laughs> oh i really love potter wasps as well I, I love the little the little pots they make with mud isn't it exquisite i know it's amazing i i've spent many a, a happy hour trying to hunt those wasps the potter wasps down on uh, the dorset heathlands where uh, Eumenes live these uh, heath potter wasps and they are oh they're just exquisite it's like the perfect roman pot 
you know, actually the, the Romans must have mimicked these pots because, uh, you know, we, we're, we're, we don't have so many potter wasps in the UK, but if you go to the Mediterranean, you'll see them everywhere. Um, and there are all sorts of, some of the pots are just really ugly and just sort of big splodges of clay. Um, uh, and others are these beautiful kind of, you know, Romanesque, uh, pots that are just exquisitely formed they're fascinating and what's really interesting is that some of these potter wasps they add in in when they collect the clay they mix it up with saliva and they'll add lots of um nu- nutrients or minerals into it um and enrich the pot uh for all sorts of um minerals like magnesium and iron and zinc and they also add um, antibiotics and antiviral components into those pots as well. Because if you think about it, that makes sense because they're going to bury, they're going to basically seal up their offspring inside a pot with some paralysed prey, a spider or whatever, um, and leave it and they won't come back. So they have to really make sure they've left that pot, it, that their offspring in a safe disease-free pot. Um, so in the same way that we would use a fridge to minimise bacteria growth <laughs> on the food that we feed our kids, they have to also make sure that they keep their their, their, their nursery free from diseases. And um, these solitary wasps uh, introduce all sorts of antiviral and antibacterial um, components, both in their venom, uh, but some of them also uh, exude um, bacteria from their antenna which will then produce antibiotics like streptomycin, which is a really important antibiotic that we use ourselves. So this, you know, I, I always like to describe the um, the solitary wasps, which are so understudied, as kind of uh, a melting pot of uh, medicinal cocktails that we've yet to discover. And who knows what we might be able to make use of if we actually bothered to take a bit more notice of them. That's amazing. I love them even more now. <laughs> um <laughs> So in my garden, because I love wasps, um, I grow figworts, which um, I grow water figwort. It's not the most attractive plant, um, but it has these lovely square stems, which I'm very fond of. It's, it's related to foxgloves and the wasps love it. And I actually, I planted it and I see the, I see the common wasps coming on. I see the gem wasps coming on. And, um, and then I, I had this new wasp, which was well, new to me or new to my garden, which is the median oh, wasp. Yes. Um, and and they all just absolutely love figwort. Are there any other plants we can grow for these wonderful species to bring them into our garden? Yeah, I think that's lovely. I I think we need we need people like you to be recording which wasps you see on your plants because the data are really hard to find. Um, I have I actually have a list of um, so we wrote a review a couple of years ago on uh, the ecosystem services of wasps and as part of that big review we looked through the literature for every account we could find of wasps on flowers and we call them wasp flowers and of course we don't know that they're actually pollinating but you know the fact that they're visiting them is a sign that they must be doing that they could be doing something and uh, figworts were one of those plants that pops up again and again in the in the literature just as anecdotal records of uh was of um some of the flowers that these vespine wasps uh, visit um and there are other wasps on my on this list i've got here which pop up so golden rods but i don't know whether we get those much in the uk it's more of an american it's an american native but um we do lots of people grow golden rods in their garden yes. as an ornamental flower so those are really good for for vespine wasps for your vespulas uh, napweed pot marigolds cotoneaster 
wild carrot, hogweed, common ivy. In fact, ivy is really key at the end of the of the summer. It's amazing for wasps. But there was actually a study a while ago where they these uh, the scientists looked to see whether they could identify a particular syndrome of traits that would allow us to kind of predict what kind of flower a wasp would visit. Um, and we have a really good idea of what kind of flowers bees visit. So bees like flowers that are blue, pink, white, yellow, that their flowers are either pendants or upright or horizontal, and they have a very weak odour, so it's not very smelly, and that they have strong ridges, which are the nectar guides, which guide the bee into the nectar. So that's a really clear sort of bee flower set of traits. Uh, and they strongly predict, you know, flowers that look like the, that are very likely to be pollinated by bees, much more so than any other insect. Um, and they did the same for the wasp flowers. And they were able to find, it wasn't nearly as strong a result, but they were able to come up with a set of traits that might predict what kind of flowers attract wasps. And they tend to be brown, green, or purple. So that's completely unoverlapping with what attracts bees. Uh, very strong odoured, which of course is again different from your bee flowers. Uh, they tend to have bell, dish or gullet shaped flowers and they don't have any nectar guides. So your gardening listeners could maybe take that set of traits and think about... <laughs> Got some brown yeah, flowers with really, that really stink. <laughs> <laughs> really stinky flowers are what you want for your wasps. Um but yeah, I think we, I mean, I'd love to, I think there's so much more to learn about wasp flowers and, you know, not only what flowers attract wasps, but what flowers are being best pollinated by wasps because there are, you know, there, there are, so, so amongst the, outside of the Vespine wasps, there are certain types of flowers, certain types of plants that have evolved to completely depend on wasps for pollination. And there are two really clear examples. One is the um, the orchid flowers, uh, which we, we don't we don't get the um, orchid wasp flowers, which we don't get in the UK, I don't think. But they have evolved to mimic the smell, the look, the feel of a female tinnid wasp, and the males come to the to, come to the flowers and try and mate with the flowers and the flower and they do this very vigorously and the flower dabs this pollen onto their back and then of course they go typical, typical male they go off to find another mate another female which is another flower mimicking a female and then they pass the pollen from flower to flower so that's a really beautiful example of how plants have manipulated flat uh, wasps to be their pollinators and then the other big example is of course fig wasps um, which are tiny little wasps, which almost their entire life cycle takes place inside the fig fruit. Um, so a, a female wasp will um, bury into the fruit and she will lay, she be covered with pollen from the from the, the fig that she hatched from, and she'll cover, she'll spread the pollen around the fig plant and she'll lay all her eggs and then she dies. And then those eggs will hatch. Yeah, she dies inside the fruit, but don't worry if you're vegetarian, you can still eat, you can still eat figs because figs produce an enzyme called phycin, which breaks down the wasp bodies. <laughs> so there are no wasp bodies inside your figs. Uh, but when the eggs hatch, the males hatch first and they, um, they then mate with the females, their sisters as they emerge, uh, which is all very lovely. Um, and then the mated females then sort of romp around the, the, the fig, uh, 
fruit covering themselves in pollen and then they will exit the flower the males just die inside the fruit and then uh the uh so they're freshly mated sisters covered in pollen will go on to the next fruit <laughs> so i mean that the fig there's about 800 species of fig wasps and they are quite faithful to particular kinds of fig fruit uh, fig species as well so it's this beautiful story of co-evolution between the figs which depend entirely on the on the wasps and the wasps that depend entirely on the figs so it's a lo- lovely co-evolution story it's beautiful um, <laughs> <laughs> um so what would the world look like without wasps Oh, I think it would be a very sad place. So, I mean, well, firstly, who would be doing all of this pest controlling, <laughs> regulating your insect populations? Um, so we don't really know. I mean, there are predictions that we can make about what the world without bees would look like because it's so well studied and we understand the real eco- ecological and economic, economic importance of bees. We don't have those figures for wasps. So we are ha- waving our hands a little bit. But I think it's safe to say that in a world without wasps, we would be inundated with other insects. Um, and that have been uh, um, suggestions that we would have plagues of flies and, you know, swarms of spiders. And you know, um, It's probably not quite that simple because ecology is quite clever and it would balance things out. But we would have to, there would have to be another pest controller that would step into their shoes. And I think in the short term, um, we would, as gardeners, you would have to be using a lot more chemicals to control those uh, other pests in your garden that you might dislike as much as you dislike wasps. There will also be a loss of all those pollination services that we don't even understand yet. Um, and I think the role of wasps as decomposers, I think that's really underestimated. Um, I've just been uh, on holiday in Croatia and we had this swimming pool at the place where we were staying and lots of Polistes wasps and all sorts of other wasps, it's like amazing wasp centre there, incredible, um, were falling in the pool and they would be, you know, dying, drowning. So we were just flicking them out of the pool. And so around the side of the pool, there'd be these dead bodies of insects. And in come the Vespula wasps, the yellow jacket wasps. And they are basically clearing up our debris. They're clearing up the insects that we're chucking out of the pool. And they're chopping them up and they're carrying them back to their brood. No one has estimated, bothered to try and estimate how important these wasps are in decomposition. But my hunch is that there's a lot going on behind the scenes that we just we just don't we just take we don't even know enough about to take for granted. We just they're doing a lot of clearing up that we don't see. Wow. Wow. I mean I know I know that a lot of gardeners um net their cabbages and their other brassicas to uh, to prevent uh cabbage white butterflies the small and the large white butterfly from, from laying eggs on them and I never do I never net I, I I don't I don't like netting I don't I don't like using it um and um I just let them get on with it and I find eggs and I grow nasturtiums next to my um brassicas because the large and small white caterpillars will also eat nasturtiums so if it gets bad I can put the caterpillars on the different plant and, and, and have this sacrificial crop of nasturtiums to save my brassicas. But do you know what? I never need to because the wasps come and take them. And I think especially this year, because it's been so dry and I think the caterpillars have really struggled. I found caterpillars on some very poorly looking plants this year, knowing that, you know, they're not going to survive very well. And like the next day they're gone. 
And I just think that the wasps are just, they're just taking them all. And it's, we don't realise because we don't look and we don't see, but the wasps are actually doing an awful lot for us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting you mentioned the very dry weather we'd be having because one of my concerns is um, that, that, I mean, all insect populations must be struggling with this dry weather because our, I mean, our gardens are parched, the flowers are dying, there's not enough food, uh, plant food out there for all of these other insects to live on. And of course, the wasps are, they are the top predators, they're at the top of the food chain, so they're going to suffer if their prey populations are low. Um, so I think, you know, I, I know people don't really, they might be celebrating a bad wasp year, <laughs> but I, I'm I'm actually quite worried about the wasp populations this year because obviously it's going to have knock-on effects um, to next year if if the populations aren't aren't very healthy and that we don't have a good crop of new queens coming through for next year because there are there are pest controllers. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I I I I just don't really see wasps that much anymore. I mean, you know, compared to as a child when. I mean, maybe I just went on more picnics as a child, but you know, <laughs> I just—they just don't. I just don't. They just don't bother me. And so I haven't seen a wasp nest for about four years. Um, it's just not something. It's just not something I ever find. You know, I, I do live in a very urban area, mm. but we're just not troubled by wasps around here. So I think anymore. that's interesting that you. I think it might be to do with the way that your life style has changed because um, we did a study a few years ago looking at the long-term populations of uh, Vespine wasps in the UK. And we did this by looking at the biological records data, which is these uh, people who report what they see, um, and also looking at museum specimens from the Natural History Museum. And actually, Vespine wasps pretty much haven't changed in the last hundred years. Um, yeah, and the hornets actually, the hornet populations are doing well. They're actually increasing, and there are two. There, there is the reason for that is probably um, it's partly to do with the the warmer the warmer climate. So the hornet used to be limited to the very southern parts of the UK, but as we're getting warmer winters and warmer summers they're sort of expanding northwards um which i think people should be pleased about because it's a it's not an invasion it's a, a natural expansion of that that range and the hornet rarely ever bothers you um well hornets are really docile aren't yeah, they exactly they won't they won't, they don't visit you at picnics they they will you know i think people get a bit freaked out because they are bigger obviously um but they're really beautiful um they're just so beautiful yeah I um I did once get scared by hornets because I was doing I was doing a talk in Dorset and um, the Dorset Wildlife Trust is is sort of in the middle of this wonderful wildlife nature reserve and um, and I just stayed there on my own. Well, sort of everyone packed up and they they all they all went off and I stayed there on my own and I just had the light on in in the, in the kitchen and all of these surrounded by windows. And I think because I had the light on, the hornets were attracted to the light and they all kept climbing. All these queen hornets kept climbing up the oh windows. No. It felt quite um it felt quite murderous, but it was it was exciting. It was exciting. But a bit scary. Um so um I got stung by a wasp um just last week. And I hadn't been stung by a wasp, I accounted for um for 31 years oh, wow. um, since I was so so I last was stung by a wasp when I was nine when my my teacher at school sent me up a plum tree to catch plums for her and then when I jumped out I landed um, on a wasp oh, no. poor wasp that stung me 
And that was my first experience of being stung by a wasp. Um, and then my second experience, I don't know how, but it it, it, it got up my shorts. Oh, no. And stung my oh. leg. And my whole leg, like my whole leg um, swelled oh, up. No. And it was extremely itchy. But um, when I was first stung by a wasp, when I was nine, all the dinner ladies put vinegar on it. <laughs> Is that something that we should be doing? Should I put vinegar on my leg? Oh, uh, no. <laughs> so, so I think it is an old wives' tale. So uh, actually, these things tend to be acidic. Um, and so the idea is that you put uh, bicarbonate on there. And actually, these things are a little bit acidic. They're like, the pH is about 4.5, 5.5. 5. Um, and wasp things are always thought to be... Um, alkaline but actually they're more or less neutral i think the ph is around about uh 6.8 and obviously ph of seven is neutral so uh the idea of putting vinegar i mean it might just distract you the smell (laughs) (laughs) but then the other thing is that the sting uh, so i I know that um vinegar is meant to be good for sort of jellyfish stings or something but that's a very surface level sting um almost like a rash really whereas a wasp sting like a bee sting they inject the venom into you so putting something on the surface of your skin is unlikely to really help Um, the main thing you want to do is well actually what we do when we get stung in the field is we actually suck the the side there's no sting there because it's only honeybees that leave their sting in you but try and suck you know if you've just been stung the best you can do is immediately if it's stung on your finger just immediately obviously if it's on your leg it's a bit difficult (laughs) no can do (laughs) not that flexible if you got stung on your arm or somewhere convenient that you could suck uh, you could suck out the venom obviously don't swallow it just spit it out but so that's what we do when we're in the field but but the uh, and actually we even had this one year i had this sort of um you know these snake bite kits which are basically a a, a suction device which sucks out the venom so it's the same idea you know if you get stung by if you get bitten by a snake you know they've got these snake bite kits so we use these same snake bite kits to try and suck out the venom of these wasps that we studied in panama because they're quite big wasps quite a lot of venom and that works out works a little bit uh, quite well but the other thing you can do if you're at home and you've got access to ice put ice on it because it will slow down the spread of the venom um and so sucking, putting ice on it. And then I always take an antihistamine tablet, to be honest, if I get stung, because even though I don't have a very bad reaction, I just want to keep that, um, my immune system under <laughs> under wraps. <laughs> um, and of course, there's no sting to remove. So I think, you know, the annoying thing about a wasp sting is that it does stay with you for a while and it's surprisingly itchy. Um, and it, yeah, it's surprisingly so. And actually the itch stays for a while. <laughs> for days um so it is unfortunate i yes it's it's not i mean i love wasps but i don't love being stung by wasps and i go out of my way to not get stung um and i think you know it's your behavior around wasps which can minimize your exposure to sting so clearly it was very unfortunate that a wasp got up your shorts and i'm sure you weren't aggravating it in any way it was just really unfortunate but you've gone 30 odd years without being stung i know and it was quite an interesting experience (laughs) i was i was quite fascinated watching it and i and i watched i watched it grow across my leg as well like the first day it's 
sort of was this yeah. big and then it was bigger and I could see the ri- I could see the edge of it I could see the rings it got right in there because I didn't want to kill it I was aware of it stinging me I couldn't see it and so I was like right I'm just gonna let it do its oh, thing wow. <laughs> um, um so yeah it's oh, uh, it's my own yeah, fault for being so crazy soft. um but I always say you know people often get stung at picnics and I think the I think we can definitely reduce the number of stings that we get at picnics by changing our behavior our classic response is if it was comes to your picnic or your barbecue, is everybody starts shouting and waving their hands around, going, oh my God, this is a wasp. And <laughs> don't do that because actually by doing that, you are behaving like the main predator of our wasps that we get in the UK, which is the badger. So badgers will dig up a wasp colony and they've got really thick Uh, really thick fur and they're really quite unaffected by the stings but what do they do when they dig is that they're waving their limbs around which is a little bit like you (laughs) swatting a wasp and also they're breathing heavily and lots of carbon dioxide coming out so the wasps are responding they've evolved to respond to carbon dioxide and flailing limbs because that's what their predator does so if you behave like a badger at at your picnic you might get stung because you are eliciting that response from the wasp <laughs> so I think what I get my my family to do and actually my kids are really well uh well tuned to doing this now is um if a wasp comes to your picnic is just sit still and watch it and and actually I always tell my kids to sort of keep your mouth closed and and close your armpits because wasps like to go to dark places um so just you know keep your arms closed and and just sit there still and watch what they want and see what they're going for and early in the summer if you get a wasp at your picnic they'll probably be going for your sausage or some meat of some sort um because they're still hunting to feed those brood but later on in the summer so so actually if you see them go for that bit of meat then give them a little bit of a wasp offering. Let them have yeah, a bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sure. And, and yeah, exactly. And they will come back and forth to that bit of meat and they'll be they'll leave you um, alone. Later on in the summer, they'll probably be going for sugar because the larvae are, have pupated and they don't need to hunt anymore. So give them a bit of your beer or Prosecco or whatever else you're drinking. And in fact, I've, I was in Italy a, a couple of weeks ago and, and there was this fantastic restaurant where they um, we were having our pizza, sitting outside in Venice, and the waiters had put a plate of ham on the table just beside us. And it was covered in wasps. Um, and all the wasps were going for the ham. And they were le- we were just sitting beside them. We had, some of us had meat pizzas. Some of us had vegetarian pizzas. There was not a wasp bothering us at all. They were all going for the ham. And then by the end, by the time we'd finished our pizzas, all the ham had gone and the wasps were starting to come to us. We just need to give wasps an offering and learn how to live well with them. I mean, I, I love feeding beer off my finger to wasps, actually. They just sort of <laughs> give them a little drop and they'll come in there and they'll drink from oh. my finger. I know that uh, I know that it's not everyone's <laughs> cup of tea, but yeah, I always... And also, you know, I just... I, I leave them a dollop of jam sometimes yeah. as well. And it's like, well, that's... The wasps are over there with the jam and I'm over here and that's fine. And we all can all get uh, on together. We go. So. I think you live well... You are you are a model for living well with wasps. <laughs> <laughs> I like them. Um, so, right, so my final question... And I'm asking this to everyone, and it's a very hard question, and nobody likes it. Um, but I'm going to ask it anyone. Anyway, so what is your favourite wasp, and why? Yeah, I, I actually always get asked this, and I, I stand it. I do actually have a favourite wasp. Uh, you know, obviously, I love them all equally, but have a secret favourite. Uh, my favourite is uh, this Polistes paper wasp that lives in um, 
Panama in and well actually Panama and, and other countries in um, South America and I it's called Polistes canadensis and it's quite big it's about two centimeters long it's chestnut colored and it's got a really powerful sting uh, but I love it because I've studied it for many years and we sequenced the genome of it a few years ago and it was the first uh, wasp genome to be sequenced the first of the hunting wasp genomes to be sequenced so I'm quite proud of that and it's also really fascinating they're, they're, they live everywhere you see them all under the houses under abandoned buildings you name it they'll be there and yet not many people have studied them um, and they're much less well understood than our European polistes and there's, they're just like a they're like a Pandora's box of amazing surprises and behaviours that we're only just starting to to really try and understand so yeah that's my favourite wasp Thanks for listening to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast. So, if you've enjoyed this episode, please tell others about it and rate us in your podcast provider app. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>